Well, good morning. So good to see you here. Would you open your Bible with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 119. Psalm 119 is where we're going to be spending some time together this morning, so go ahead and turn there now as we continue our summer series where we're uh, taking some time to do things a little bit differently than normal, and we're looking at rhythms. That's the the title, the topic of the series as we're considering together, what are those regular, repeated patterns of movement in our lives, those habits that should be a part of our lives and routines if we are to be healthy as Christians, if we're to be healthy and grow in Christ. Psalm 119 is going to be our passage for the morning, and we're going to read, uh, I invite you to read with me out loud the first two verses of Psalm 119. Would you join me out loud? Here we go. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. I'll continue the rest. Verse 3, they do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Verse 6, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Now verse 13. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for welcoming us here to worship you today as a church. God, thank you for your word. We pray that as we dive into Psalm 119 and consider uh, all that you have spoken to us through Scripture, pray that you would help us to understand, open our eyes to see, teach us by your Holy Spirit. We need your help. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 119, we just read a portion of, and as you noticed, it was a section of God's Word that was all about God's Word. Right? There were various words used throughout the passage, all talking about the same thing over and over, God's commands or his law, his statutes, his precepts, his word. There's a bit of a different meaning with each of those words, but it all is getting at the same idea with what God has spoken or what God has communicated to us with his words. If you look in your Bible at Psalm 119, you'll notice every eight verses is its own section. And after every eight verses, there's a, a little heading to start the next section. And each heading is a letter of the Hebrew 
alphabet. And it goes all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 sections of Psalm 119. Each section is, uh, starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So what, verses 1 through 8, actually every line in uh, that section begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph. And then in the next section, every line begins with the Hebrew letter Bet, and all the way down through the alphabet. 22 letters, 22 sections, 8 verses per section for 176 verses total. We're not going to read them all this morning. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and as you can see, it's laid out in this poetic, symbolic, powerful way, and it's all talking about God's Word, just gushing with joy and praise about God's commands and His decrees and His words. I mean, when we write poetry nowadays, I'm not much of a poet, but the poetry that gets written today or the songs that we write today are often about people, people we love or places we love or food we love, right? Things that we love, we pour out praise about them. And you see in the words of Psalm 119, the author is gushing out praise over and over again for 176 verses, and it's all about God's Word. Which should make us ask the question, how do we feel about God's Word? Right? When God's Word is mentioned, when Scripture is mentioned, when the Bible is mentioned, what's our reaction? Do we react the way the author of Psalm 119 reacts? Praising God, delighting in His commands, celebrating His statutes and His precepts and all that He has spoken to us? I think sometimes rather than responding that way, we respond maybe with confusion. The Bible's a big book. There's so much in it that we don't understand. Or maybe we respond with fear, or maybe we respond with anxiety or frustration. Maybe we don't like what the Bible has to say. Maybe we respond to the Bible the same way we think about doing our taxes. You know, it's kind of a tedious process, kind of intimidating, if we're honest. If we're younger, it's something our our parents deal with, and they figure it out, and we're glad that we don't have to. It can be scary. We don't want to mess it up. We gladly pay someone else just to do it for us and figure it out. And maybe if we, if we are familiar with, with the Scriptures, still it can be more of a, a chore or more tiresome to engage it rather than a joy sometimes. And so the rhythm I want to look at this morning is the rhythm of Scripture meditation or engaging with the Scriptures daily, reading and applying God's Word to our lives. And so before we get to the uh, what we're supposed to do with the Bible, I want to talk a bit about how we should think about the Bible, how we should feel towards Scripture. And so we're going to use Psalm 119 as our guide. Probably one of the most common things that we feel or think about the Bible today 
whether we're willing to voice it or not, is that the Bible is more of a hindrance to my joy, a hindrance to me finding and experiencing the fullness of life. It's more of a hindrance than it is a blessing. Many today feel that God's word is like a straitjacket, a bunch of rules that constricts me, tells me what to do or not do, what I can do or can't do with my money or what I can do or should not do with my, my body or what I should do or should not do with my time. It's just a, a list of, of rules that God uses to keep me from being happy and fulfilled. Now, certainly there's plenty in Scripture that tells us how we are to live, what we are to do and not do, commands that we are to obey and follow. But notice, again, Psalm 119, how the author of this passage speaks of these commands and these statutes. In verse 1, we read it together, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. And then the end of the passage, verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So you see, the author of Psalm 119 looks at God's commands, his law, his word, and does not see it as a hindrance to finding true life. He rather finds it as a guide, as the way that will lead him to true life and joy and fulfillment. Blessed is the one who walks in the ways of the Lord. I rejoice in your word. I delight in your commands. And verse 14 even says, I delight, excuse me, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. It's a pretty vivid picture. I mean, think about how how much rejoicing would you have if someone were to write you a check for $50,000, for $100,000, for $500,000, if great riches were to be given to you. There would be a lot of celebrating in the Scrapeback house, I can tell you that much. And here he says, I rejoice in following your statutes and obeying your commands and knowing your law and knowing your word, God, as one rejoices in great riches. It's a lot of rejoicing. I delight in your decrees. And so I want to start here because I think fundamentally we need to view God's word as a gift. We need to view God's word as something that is good, that, that leads us to life. And so when we look at the commands or the ways of God in Scripture, it's uh, the same way we would think about a, a parent giving laws and rules to their children. Right? For those that have, we only have a one-year-old daughter, so we haven't had to do the discipline thing very much, but for those of you that are a little further down the line, you, you give your kids rules and and discipline and and guidelines, not because you want to keep them from good things in life, but because you want them to have fullness of life. You want them to be safe. You want them to grow and experience good things and not experience harm, right? There are good things that you 
make your kids do that maybe they don't want to do, but they're good for them, and they're bad things that you have your children avoid for their good. So in the same way, God has given us his word and his laws not to keep us from life, but to help us experience the fullness of life in the way that he has designed. And so when we come to God's word, we see that God helps us know what he is like. He helps us know what he expects of us, how to walk in ways that are pleasing to him. God's word, it said, is a a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. It guides us. It renews our minds. It's so easy for us to believe lies about God, believe lies about ourselves, believe lies about our world. And God's word transforms our minds, renews our minds, shows us what is true. It reminds us what we are to believe about God and ourselves. So God's word is good. It's a gift. And it, it maybe goes without saying, but we probably should think about this, that God's word comes from God. That's why it's good. It's, it, it comes from God. It's clear in the psalm, almost just implied, God, this is your word, your commands, your laws, your precepts. The New Testament affirms this as well. Probably the most famous passage in the Bible, about the Bible, is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Verse 16 starts out, all scripture is God-breathed. Of course, it's talking about the Old Testament scriptures and by implication includes the New Testament scriptures. God breathed. This is the doctrine of inspiration. That scripture has a divine origin. It comes from God to us as he speaks it. He breathes it out. It's not just a human book. And because it has a divine origin, it carries with it divine authority, which is why we approach Scripture with such, such humility. Please silence your cell phones. <laughs> Sorry about that. Where were we? Forgive me. <laughs> Right, inspiration. We're back on, all right. Uh, scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God, not just from our own imagination or, or human interpretation. God, by his spirit, spoke the word of Scripture. Now, of course, there's a human element to the Bible. It was written by human beings. There are human authors. But we understand that those authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, so that the result, the the scriptures, as they were written down, were the words of God, were exactly what God wanted to communicate to us through these human authors. If we think about this truth, it's pretty amazing, it really is, 
It's pretty unique that God would speak to us. That God would reveal himself to us. See, in the Old Testament, in the, in the ancient world, there were plenty of pagan religions. People that would worship false gods, that would worship idols. But one of the constant criticisms that the authors of Scripture bring about those idols or about those false gods is that they couldn't speak. They were mute. They couldn't communicate. And so people in these pagan religions were, were constantly in this place of uncertainty as to who God was or what God they were serving or what their God desired of them, what their God expected of them, if God was happy with them or angry with them. They, just, they didn't know. Constant fear, constant uncertainty. And yet in the pages of Scripture, you see this contrast. In contrast to the false gods that cannot speak, we have the one true God that does speak that has made himself known, that has made his will known to us, what he is like and what he desires and what he expects. We don't have to live in constant fear and uncertainty and just, just wondering, who knows? Because God has spoken to us. He has told us what he is like. It's so important to start here because, again, so many of us today think that the Bible is just a human book. Right? That it's something from the bottom up. It's, it's humans trying to make sense of God, trying to understand God. But 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that it's the opposite. It's top down. God down to us. God revealing himself to us. Not us just trying to find our way up to him. And so again, this is why we approach Scripture here with such humility, such reverence, because we believe that when we come to the words of Scripture, we come to the very words of God. So God's Word is it's good. It's a gift intended for our flourishing. God's Word comes from God. Maybe you have no problem believing those truths, but the Bible is still a little intimidating for you. Maybe the Bible is still a big book that has a lot in there, is written a long time ago, and so maybe you just, again, want to leave it to the professionals. It's a little intimidating for you to engage with personally. But again, it's my hope that we would see the Bible not as a tax code, not like the tax law that's just hopelessly confusing, that we just can't figure out. We need to pay someone else to do the work for us. No, like anything else, we can learn to engage the Bible. I mean, think about it. Everything that you know how to do right now, everything you know how to do, you had to learn how to do it. Everything, pretty much everything, with the exception of crying. You pretty much come out of the womb crying and going to the bathroom. But other than those things, you had to learn how to do everything that you can do. Cooking. Reading, cleaning, sitting in a chair, standing up, walking, how to use the bathroom properly, uh, jobs at, at your job, tasks at your job. You had to learn them. There's, there's nothing that you know how to do right now that you didn't have to, at some point, learn how to do it. 
That's just how life works. And so the Bible is no different. When we come to the Bible, like everything else, we can learn how to read it. With time, with some thought, with maybe some help, some study, we can learn how to engage it in the same way that we can learn how to do anything else that we have learned how to do. So it's not hopelessly confusing. It's not so unclear and mystical that we can't understand it. But I thought maybe it'd be helpful uh, to move in this direction, to give a little crash course on the layout of the Bible. Maybe that would help us get our bearings a little bit as to what it is we're talking about when we talk about the Bible. And so for some of, some of you, this might be review, this might be old hat, this might be boring, but for some of you, maybe this is, is new and um, some of these things you haven't heard before. And so let's, let's talk about the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, open it up to the table of contents right in the front. Or if you have a, the Bible app, you can go to the table of contents and kind of see the list of the books included. Again, a little crash course talking about this big book. As you look at the table of contents, you notice that the Bible is not just one book. It's a collection of books. There's actually 66 different books that are a part of our one Bible. And you notice as you're looking at that table of contents, there are two big sections it's divided into, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, primary, well, it was all written before the time of Christ. And the New Testament was written uh, about the time of Christ and afterwards. Okay, so that's an easy way to understand the breakdown of the two main chunks. And so looking at that table of contents, starting in the Old Testament, there are a number of different genres of books, different types of books that are included in the Old Testament. You see it starts with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five books are called the Torah, the, the book of the law. In Jewish mind, uh, mindset and thinking, those were the, the foundation for their identity as the people of God. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, were, were studied so well, known so well, it sets the stage for everything that comes after it, talking about the, the God who has created all life and the, the sinfulness of humanity, how we've turned from that God and then how God has called a people to himself, the people of Israel, to be his chosen nation through whom he would, of course, bring blessings and salvation to the entire world. But those first five books are foundational. As you uh, go along, you see some of the historical books. Right? You see Joshua. You see the Judges, First and Second Kings. Excuse me, First and Second Samuel. Then First and Second Kings. Then the Chronicles. These books talk about uh, the history of the Jewish people, the the leaders that God raised up. It's there we see uh, Solomon and Saul, King David. Those types, the different judges and kings that would lead the people of Israel in the promised land that God desired to use to bring blessings to the nations and to restore his broken world. 
You also see in the Old Testament, looking at that list, there's uh, wisdom literature. They don't read as much like uh, history or like the other books, but they're Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And so they're books that are either prayers or songs or uh, short uh, snippets of wisdom like in the Proverbs that talk about living a skillful life or living a life that is honoring to God. And then you see prophetic books, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and on, Micah and Amos, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Jonah is on that list that we looked at together for, for several weeks. And so these prophetic books are primarily God's word through the prophets. He sent prophets to speak to the kings at the time, to speak to the people, to give oracles about foreign nations, about God's will. And it was usually calling the people back to God, calling the people out of their sin and rebellion to truly obeying God. And so in the Old Testament alone, you have all these different types of books. You have the Torah, you have historical books, you have wisdom literature, you have the prophetic books. So again, just just a couple helpful pieces of information, right, to get your bearings as you look at that list, what it is you're looking at. After the last prophet in the Old Testament, there was about a 400-year gap in writing where there were no new books of Scripture until the time of Christ, until Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament. As you look at the New Testament, Again, for some of us, this is a review, but maybe some of us is new. You see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four what we would call Gospels. Those are the primary accounts of Jesus' life. So when we want to see what Jesus did, what Jesus said, uh, what his time and day was like, we look to the Gospels. And those are four different accounts written from slightly different perspectives, but all telling the same story of Christ's life, his miracles, his teachings, and ultimately his death and resurrection. Then you see the book of Acts right after that. This is the story of uh, the spread of the early church. After the death and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, you have his first followers, these early Christians and their life together, their work to spread this good news to all people, to call people to faith and repentance and trusting in Christ. And then the rest of the New Testament are letters written to churches, either by the Apostle Paul or, or Peter or James or John, other apostles, and they're situational letters written at a certain point in history because a certain situation that churches were facing, whether it was persecution or challenges within the church. And these letters were written to help these early churches, these early collections of Jesus' followers to know how they were to carry themselves and live and live out the gospel before a watching world. And that makes up the rest of the New Testament. So you can see, just again, just a couple brief points of information help us get our bearings when we look at this big, maybe intimidating list of 66 books. Knowing a bit about how it functions can be really helpful to engaging it in a helpful way. But maybe as we've been talking through this, you've noticed, and this is an important thing when we talk about Scripture, that it's not just a big list of do's and don'ts. It's not just a big list of commands. 
hey, go do this. Hey, don't do this. Hey, God tells you to do this. You know, the Bible is telling a story, a true story. But the Bible is a narrative taking us from the beginning of the Old Testament with the beginning of human history and even before human history, right, when there was just God, then God created everything that there is. But then human beings in Genesis chapter 3 fell into sin, rebelled from that God, went the other direction. And because of that, chaos and havoc and destruction and death came to the world. And so you see then God constantly at work to bring restoration, to bring healing and peace and justice to his broken world. That's what you see over and over again in the Old Testament, God raising up leaders uh, desiring to bring peace, but you see people fail over and over again to obey. You see the people fail over and over again to follow the Lord. And so in the Old Testament, there's this, this promise uh, of a, a Savior, of a Messiah that would come and truly be a good king, the ultimate king that would establish peace and justice for Israel and for all the world, bringing the glory of God to the ends of the earth. But in the Old Testament, that king never comes on the scene. We're kind of left hanging. We don't, we don't know who that figure is. That's why as the New Testament begins, Jesus is such a big deal because he comes on the scene proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, claiming to be the Savior the Messiah, God himself actually comes to earth. And so this reminds us the Bible is a story, the, the hinge or, or the focal point is the person of Jesus Christ. His life, his ministry, his teachings, and ultimately his death and resurrection in our place for our sins so that through faith we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. This is this is the gospel, the good news that we celebrate, that Jesus came. And the Bible also tells us that Jesus will come again. He'll come back to ultimately judge the living and the dead and to restore his good world. And so we, as Christians, look forward to that day when he returns. So, mini crash course in books of the Bible, and a little bit of the storyline of the Bible. Now, certainly some parts in Scripture are going to be more confusing than others because of our uh, cultural distance from some of these writings, how long ago they were, it might make it challenging. But for all of Scripture, with some study, research, thought, pondering what we read, we can understand it. We can come to know what God is trying to say to us. We can understand it. And notice that's how the author of Psalm 119 speaks about it. Going back to Psalm 119. It says what in verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. And then verse 8, I will obey your decrees. And then verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then verse 12, Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. And so notice, as 
the author of Psalm 119 approaches God's word, there's this willingness to learn, a willingness to obey and to apply God's word. There is not just this, you know what, this book is big and it's kind of outdated and who knows how to interpret it anyway, so we're just going to throw up our hands and we don't know what to do with it. No, he says, God, teach me. Teach me. I want to learn. I want to obey. Your word is understandable. It's worth my time, and so I want to engage in it. That's the model that Psalm 119 gives us. Now, with all of that being said, talked about how the Bible's good, given for our good, how it comes from God, 2 Timothy 3, 16, how it is understandable with a little thought, a little effort, we can learn how to engage it. Now let's talk just briefly about a rhythm of hearing and obeying God's Word. What should the practice of reading God's Word look like in our life? How do we weave that into our days, in our schedules, in our time? A couple, couple thoughts. First, I would encourage you to get a Bible. <laughs> Seems like it goes without saying, but we should start there. Get a Bible. A Bible that is uh, in a translation that's readable. Okay, some, For some of us, we have like a maybe a King James Version sitting on our shelf or our parents' shelf, and we pull it out and try and read it. And um, sometimes the, the language, the Old English language that's used there is not the most helpful to modern English. And so if you're new to the Bible, it can be really helpful to get a translation in modern English that can help you understand it. We preach from the New International Version here, the NIV. It's accessible. I think it's helpful in its accuracy to the original languages. And so if you're new, that's a great place to start. There are other good translations that I love, though. The ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, is, is helpful, really solid. The New American Standard, NASB, maybe you're familiar with that one. Uh, but pick a translation that's going to be accurate to the original languages and readable. So that's where the NIV or the ESV are usually kind of uh, my wheelhouse personally and where I think are the most helpful. Also, if you don't have a hard copy Bible, uh, you could get the Bible app on your smartphone. I mean, seriously, there's a great Bible app. If you go to the app store and search Bible, probably the first one that comes up, it's this picture of a little brown Bible and it's called the Version Bible app, and it's fantastic. You can have the Bible on your phone. It's got a bunch of different translations on there. It's easy to search. Uh, it's, it's stellar. So I would encourage you all. We, it's 2018, right? Most of us have smartphones, most. Um, so that's a great resource. It's free. I encourage you to get that. Um, number two, using a Bible reading plan can be really helpful. Sometimes we have great intentions. We have passion in our heart to accomplish something, but without some sort of plan, it doesn't always happen. We need some tracks to run on. And so a Bible reading plan could be a great way to do that. I, every year, try to do a through the Bible in a year plan, where every day there's selected readings, and it walks me through uh, the whole Bible in a year, or a year and a half is usually how long it takes me. But, you know, the, the idea is to be working through it. Um, the Bible app that I told you about, the Version Bible app, that little brown icon in the app store, has a bunch of different plans that you can choose from right on your phone. So again, if you're really 
connected to your phone, it's a great way to say, man, I can read through the whole Bible. There are uh, plans that help you read through just the New Testament or just the Old Testament or parts of the Old Testament or parts of the New Testament. But I would encourage you to, to choose a plan and to, to stick with it. Or maybe if you're, if you're new to Scripture, just pick the Gospel of John. You know what? I'm going to read one chapter a day. Don't have to make it too complicated. I'm going to read a chapter a day. It takes a couple minutes. I'm going to read it. I'm going to see what God has to say and work through the Gospel of John. It's a great place to start. Again, that's one of those Gospels that tells us about the life of Christ. We also have a church reading plan through uh, our church where we send out emails every day with selected scriptures as we're going through the New Testament. If you'd like to be a part of that, again, talk to us at the welcome table. We'd love to share with you more about getting on that plan. Now, I also want to encourage to read the Bible as a rhythm in your daily routine. Maybe join that process with someone else. There maybe, some, maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe there's someone else in your life that you can encourage to participate with you to keep one another accountable with how you're reading. It's hard to do it alone sometimes. So if there's someone else that you're doing the reading with, they can ask you about it. They can check up on you about it. You can help one another stay the course. I'd also encourage this, point five, to be a daily process. A daily process. Not just a, a Sunday process, but to cultivate that relationship with God daily. The Bible is to our spirit what food is to our bodies. I don't think many of us would go days on end without eating, at least intentionally. So in the same way, why would we let days go by without spending time in God's Word, without hearing from Him? If all of those things we talked about this morning are true, wouldn't we want to spend time in God's Word, hearing from Him? I know that we're all busy, but the reality is we, we make time for what matters to us. Whatever it is that's important to us, we prioritize it. We find time. Maybe it just means waking up 10 minutes early. Send your alarm clock for 10 minutes earlier, waking up and reading. Maybe it happens on your drive to work, right? With uh, that app, you can listen to the Bible. So you can use that time in the car to hear God's Word. That's a great option. Maybe you can do it on your lunch break or uh, with your family as you're sitting down to dinner, reading a bit of the Bible each day, working through the Gospel of John, for example. It's making it part of your regular routine. And I know some, really, whenever, it, there's not a bad time to open up the Bible. So whenever it works for you, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, is going to be great. I personally prefer the morning. I think it's helpful to start the day that way so that it's not like you get angry and stressed and frustrated and then, then you come to Scripture later in the day, but it's like you start your day reminded of who God is, entering your day and all the work and all the tasks that are ahead with uh, that reminder of God's grace, God's presence with you. That can be extremely, extremely helpful. Uh, the last point I'll make is I would encourage us not to just read the Bible and then close it really quick. Right? Like, do, do my daily reading, close it, and, and I'm off and out the door. Uh, this rhythm is not just reading the Bible, but it's, it's reading it and contemplating it, chewing on it. Someone used the word meditate, not in an Eastern sense of emptying your mind, but meditating, filling your mind with the Word of God. Asking God, God, what does this mean? What would you have for me? 
And so when we come to the text, we encourage us to ask, ask questions about it. God, what does this mean about you? What does this tell me about you? What does this mean for me? How do I need to respond in light of this text? And so on. Don't just read it and close it, but read it and think about, God, what does this mean? And what, how would you have me respond? The next slide was going to be a set of arrows, but we're running short on time. So after the service, you're going to have to come up to me and ask me about the arrows. And I'll tell you. I'll leave you wondering. It's a cliffhanger. But as we close, look again at Psalm 119, verse 15. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. It's my hope and prayer that we would be a people that meditates on God's word, that delights in God's word, rejoices in God's word. If you're not as familiar with the Bible, I encourage you to jump in. It's kind of like cooking. You can read cooking books, read books about cooking, but at the end of the day, if you want to grow in it, you got to get in the kitchen. You got to start cooking. So I encourage you to jump in. Might be a little messy, might burn some things here and there, but, but jump in and you will grow in it. There's no replacement, no replacement for regular time in God's Word, hearing from Him and letting it shape us as we apply it to our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You for Your Word. Pray that You would make us a people that rejoices in Your Word, that celebrates Your Word. We thank You for it. We love You. Please guide our lives, Lord, for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.